Adrian Vowles, th- thanks so much for agreeing to be this week's Dead in Gold podcast guest. Um, it's an absolute honour to interview you. Um, so what are you up to these days, mate? Bloody working for a living. Um, you know, I'm not unfortunate. I, I don't mind working, but yeah, no, just working for a living. I work for a uh, company called Mine Super, so in the superannuation, which deal with a lot of the mining companies and uh, work with another rugby league player, actually, or a couple of rugby league players, actually, it's Steve Walters and uh, Tony Butterfield. <laughs> Great stuff. And so, get, getting self-analytical. And, uh, and, and a little bit awkward early on in the chat. Like, what sort of player were you? Um, we know that you're a centre five eighth and lock. Um, but you, like, if you had to look at your career and the way that you played, how would you describe yourself? Uh, a worker. Yeah. Um, I believe I had to work really hard to get where I, where I did. Um, I, you know, nothing came easy. I always had to do the extra stuff to. Um, you know, to make it as a player and I had to bide my time early on I played three years of reserve grade um, before I played first grade so um, you know I'm I, I th- always think I've just always had a good work ethic and I get that from I think I get that from my mum and dad and growing up on a property and seeing how hard they worked I think that was sort of instilled in me at in a young age Yeah and did you did you like really back yourself knowing that if you put the work in things would eventually come off is that how you approached it yeah and, and you know what I got a couple of lucky breaks really 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 lucky breaks that um, right place right time but if I hadn't worked hard I, you know I wouldn't have been there to, to, to get the, for that to happen so you know you as I tell people you, you work hard to get you get a bit of luck as well and you've got to have a little bit of luck along the way that certainly helps no, absolutely. And uh, so being the um, 80s and 90s tragic uh, that I am, like one of the train spotter teams of, of, the, of that era um, will forever be the mighty Gold Coast Seagulls and you debuted for them in 1993. What do you, what do you remember specifically about that day? Oh, it was, it was funny. It was, um, I, I, I debuted in the seventh. So that you know, that didn't really count. Then, then I debuted in the Tui's Challenge. <laughs> uh, Mark Jared McCracken. That was my first first row game, and I was like, you know, I was packing a little bit because he was so big. And yeah. uh, but I had a really good game and handled him quite well. And but that wasn't classed as a first grade game back then, which is. And then I sat on the bench for first grade. Came off the bench. Yeah, two fresh reserves. I came off the bench for the first two or three games I think and again that's not class wasn't classified as a first grade game and and then uh, I went back to reserve grade for one game then I, then I started against Manly and I got uh, I got our man of the match and scored a try and Kevin Campion actually passed me the ball to score the try and just had a really good game so that was my official run on first grade game so yeah it was, even though we lost we went close to winning but we lost the game but it was, it was a good uh Great feeling. Oh, a long time coming, but you eventually got there, yeah. And so um, you, you were actually named Player of the Year for the Seagulls in, in that debut season. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I um, I had a really good year. Like, it just worked hard. And, I, I you know, um, one of the lucky breaks, as I just mentioned before, was in the pre-season we met a dietitian and I just had to be sitting at the front of the... Of 
all the players and she picked me out to pick my diet to pieces basically mm. and um, you know I was a cabinet maker apprentice cabinet maker working 10 hour days and going to training and she picked my diet to pieces and more so that I wasn't eating enough so I was working out 10 hour days and training for 2 hours a few nights a week and so I went and started seeing her and she just changed my whole diet I was eating more all of a sudden you know I had more energy I was I was training harder and I put on in that off-season six kilos of pure muscle, no no fat. And, uh, but this is back in the days before protein shakes and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It just proves you can do it without protein shakes. Um, <laughs> and that was the start of it. I just felt good about myself. So I think I weighed in at a mass of 86 kilos. <laughs> um, but felt strong and, and I just knew then I was going to have a good year. Oh, that's great! Great insight. And so, what was your um, what was your main sort of what was the main backbone to to your diet? Like, what, what did you um found really worked for? You? I'll tell you what I had for breakfast: ten wheat beaks and four pieces of toast was my breakfast. <laughs> Is that all? Gosh. And uh, then I'd have a smoke. Yeah, smoke at work, so I had to make sure. And I swapped and changes. It's probably a bit different now. They probably <laughs> wouldn't eat it. Would that say not eat as much bread now? But I was sort of I ate healthy. I always had a lot, a lot of vegetables and all that sort of stuff, but it's amazing when your diet's right how good you feel both mentally and physically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it must be um, why you're saying Bolt used to get into the nuggets on, on race day. It just felt right for him. <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of people are you know, different. And, yeah. But I just, um, yeah, I just, I felt so much better. I, and it got to the point where if you had a big night on the town, uh <laughs> without coming home and skipping breakfast and going to sleep, you know, I'd come home and eat my breakfast before I went to bed, so it didn't matter what time I got home, I'd eat my breakfast, and so I didn't miss my breakfast. It's <laughs> interesting logic. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. And so so moving on, uh, you, you were an inaugural player um, for the mighty North Queensland Cowboys. Is it true, I, I read this somewhere, I can't remember where I read it, but is it true you and your teammates... Um, had to chip in and get the Willows playing surface ready in time for the f- club's first ever game. Is that right? Yeah, 100% we come, <laughs> come to come to go to training the week, this is the week of the game leading up against the Bulldogs and uh, Grant Bell said, right oh, boys, we're not um, training tonight, we're laying turf all around the around the hill on the uh, on the hill and uh, that's what we did. Unbelievable. The whole club reserve grade and first grade laid, we laid the turf for that for that ground unbelievable what was your reaction were you, were you like you know what's going on here like we're professionals here well, <laughs> I think it might have been fitness night so yeah. I think we we're pretty happy to be honest um, <laughs> I don't know I, I, no one wins no one complained like it wasn't like ah we all we all bought into the into the Cowboys culture and yeah. it was our club and you know prior to that Paul Galia who who Play with he he built the gym like he built all the block walls for it and you know other people helped around and worked around the ground and you know um, some of the coaches and I think even Marty Bella would stay up and shoot any ruse if they came on the field at night time like it was just turn the sprinklers on and like it was really really I couldn't imagine if you did it said to today's players right I know train today you got to lay turf I think the probably ring their player manager <laughs> yeah the player union would get involved for sure yeah. pretty quickly yeah. 
and um, so on, on to your first game, is it also true that you were sent off in, in that first Cowboys game? Yeah, very early. Oh, um, oh oh, it was the most amazing I'd ever ever felt in a game. The atmosphere was 20-odd thousand people. It was amazing when we ran out, like a, what a grand final would be. So much noise, it was a party atmosphere, and then, yeah, and I, I hit Matt Ryan. Mm. I hit him with my shoulder, I didn't, it wasn't anything untowards and then I didn't. The referee, Tim Manderson, is the quickest send-off. My dad said, I'd, I'd only just hit him and he sent me off and um, yeah. he said I'd swung my arm and hit him. Yeah. And I hadn't, I knew I hit him, I, I knew I hit him with my shoulder, like he was, was just unlucky, I was coming up, he was coming down and um, I even had his, his tooth mark in my shoulder. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. He, um, I ended up fracturing his cheek, cheekbone, I think, but yeah. purely, you know, I'm not that type of player. And, yeah. um, oh, I was just gutted, absolutely gutted. And then and I went to the judiciary and, um, you know, the, our defence was, he said, he sent me off a swinging arm, which I had video proof. My arm was by my side the whole time. And, mm. you know, it was a, yeah, no, and I'd showed other tackles I'd done that were the exact same copy block coming up. And, Anyway, um, back in those days, the media were outside, you know, listening in. And so they send me out to, to adjourn to work out what's happening, and they left their microphone on, and <laughs> so they're saying, oh, they agreed they were going to give me a week. Anyway, um, Greg McCullum runs in there and goes, oh, they, everyone can hear. So I, they turned the microphones off, and by the time I went back in there, I got two weeks. <laughs> so I went from one week to two weeks, but... First time I'd ever been sent off ever, so um, yeah. it was hard. But uh, I'll, I'll go down in history. Oh, you for sure, for sure. It's a great story, anyway, that you'll have forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, we'll move to England now, and and um, I'm not looking for any particular any particular um, answer here, but um, and you probably you probably told the story many times before. But um, are you just able to outline the inspiration for, for you moving over to England? It was a few choice words from a certain coach that did the trick. Yeah, well, there was, no, there was no inspiration. I certainly wasn't inspired to go there. Um, I the name Super League was coming in in '97, so they had to name a 23 man squad or something. I don't know, but anyway, so I captain Cowboys all the '96 season, the last three games of '96. Five seasons, so I've been captain all year. Played every game. Um, played majority of the game the season that year with a torn groin and a hernia. And played on, and anyway, didn't get named in this twenty-something man squad. And so Tim said, "I suppose you want to see me." I went, "Yeah, I do." So I went into his office, and he's sitting there with his both fists on the table, and I'm going, "Oh, okay." Mm. And he goes, uh, uh, "Just these exact words." Yeah, we did put you in the squad because you're not big enough, you're not fast enough, you're not strong enough, and you have limited ability. Mm-hmm. So I sort of slid down the chair a bit because that's like a bit of punch to the belly. Yeah. Um, and he goes, "Oh, we're going to bring a, a centre in here who can score tries," which I played a majority of that year at lock. So, um, and then I just said, "Mate, if you put me outside Laurie Daly, Ricky Stewart, I'll score tries all day." said you're not at the Cowboys you're not at the Raiders now you know and yeah. but just yeah, I, I don't mind players not 
liking you, like a uh, coach not liking players, that, that happens. But just there's a way to say things, there's a way to not, you know. So I got my manager, to, I didn't bag anyone when I left, so I got my manager to look around. I looked like I was going to go to the Bulldogs and the Storm and the Warriors and everything fell through, unfortunately. And then Daryl Vanderbilt rang me up out of the blue and said I would be keen to go to Carsford. Mm. And I knew of Carsford because I, I got up in 1986 and watched him in the Challenge Cup final. Oh, magic. When they beat uh, Hull KR. So I was going to go over for one year and then one year become became seven. Oh, just, yeah, and, and that and, and that was... Yeah, that was where Adrian Vowles was 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 made, wasn't it? Like, what, what were your initial thoughts upon arriving in England uh, to 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 play their sort of new sort of brand new league called Super League? Like, what was? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I'd watched lots of English footy over the years. Um, yep. It was coming from Townsville in summer to England in the middle of winter. It was cold. That was the first thing. Um, <laughs> but it was a, it was an adventure as well, you know. And I just. I sort of immersed myself in it. I liked it, and the blokes are pretty good fellows. But footy-wise, we lost 11 games straight, so I was getting, just getting hammered mm. by the supporters. You know, um, they pee pretty. Told to go back home and all that sort of stuff. Gosh, they appear pretty unforgiving from a distance, don't they? That those fans, like that. that yeah, they're, they're not so. There's some are fickle, but you, you true call ones. Yeah, you know, they know if you're having a dig and. I end up getting, I end up going to a Monday night supporters club, and they'd rerun the game, play a bit of bingo. A bloke called Mick Morgan, legendary commentator over in England. Yeah. Uh, if you look up YouTube and look up Mick Morgan, he, he has a go at the referee when a Wigan player hits a Cass player, and it, it's legendary. And anyway, I'd go to these Monday nights, so I got to know all the real, true Cass supporters, and they got to know me. And yep. Stuart Raper came over as a new coach and Shane Flanagan was his assistant and um, we sort of started to turn things around. Um, I started to enjoy my footy, got confidence back, you know, and then um, we escaped relegation and then sort of just went from there and each year got better. Oh, wow. That's no, great. And uh, while you were talking about legendary commentators, another one called Eddie Hemmings uh, read out your name um, as the winner of the Man of Steel Award in 1999. Like, just listening to your story so far, and then you, you've you've gone and won the Man of Steel, first Aussie since Gav Miller in '86, and first Castleford player to win it. That, that just must have been such a satisfying moment in in your life. Yeah, well, it took me back to those those 11 games. You know, it took me right back to there where I, I didn't feel much love, and I sort of go home after a game and drink a bit of the Bundy rum that I brought over with me and thinking what am I doing here you know and um, but again you just work hard and get through stuff and it's when you probably don't think too much I think I think when you think too much you try too hard and it's when you just relax and enjoy and laugh and and you've got a good camaraderie we've had a lot of good fellas come over that 99 year we, we had you know Dale Fritz um, James Pickering Michael Eager, Aaron Raper from from England, uh, from Australia, and we had a real good Danny Orr, Brad Davis, who's an Aussie, but Brad Davis, uh, you know, Dean Sampson, Jason Flat. We had a real good uh, John Wells. We had a really good nucleus of players. He got on on and off the field and just had a really good time. And when I won the award, it's obviously a team award, you know. Mm. 
all the other awards, they went through the players individually who were up for the award. Yep. And so I come to the Man of Steel and they started talking about me. So I just said, oh, yeah. They're, they're just going through it. And then all of a sudden they've said he's the first Castle player to win it. Da, da, da. I'm just gone. And it took a little while for it to sink in. Then I've gone, holy hell. Wow. I've gone and won this award. Yeah, it was a, it was a good night. Oh, I bet it was, yeah. And, and, and um, so what was the British game like back then? Like, us Aussies have always been very unfair, like, in, in, in as much as we haven't really given it the attention it, it deserves um, at, as a whole. Like, were, were you always a proponent of, of what they were doing over there? Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. you know, what? Carsford, I painted the picture for Carsford as a, as a town. It's a working-class town, mining town, chemical factory was there when I was there. The facilities are no better than a, at the time, were no better than a local footy club. Honestly, yeah. the gym, our gym was tiny. Um, we had to make do with everything. We had to shrimp and save for money. So I've come from the Cowboys where they just got the new state-of-the-art gym, pool, all this sort of stuff to, to England. But but it took me back to when I, where I first started in the bush, you know, where you had nothing and you had to work hard for everything. And So I... It made me fall in love with the game again, and um, I I just loved it. And the, the the supporters over there are the most amazing supporters. Yeah, they 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 can hammer you, but there's no, they are just so good to play in front of. Ten thousand people is more noisier than thirty thirty thousand over here. Like they sing songs when you run on the field to warm up, you got to clap them, and they'll sing a song for you, about you, or they'll. And then when you win, and when we escape relegation. Supporters cried in the stands, like they cried, or they'd come and hug you, and they were bawling their eyes out that we'd escaped relegation, and you know, and that in itself just shows you how much passion they have for for the club. And if you look back through Castleford's history, there's so many great players over the years. And yeah. I'd play, I was playing lock majority of that time over there, but Mal really had played lock prior to me, you know, years before. But I didn't want to let that jersey down because of what Mal really had done. Good on you. And people love that about footy players, don't they? Players who really appreciate the history um, and where that where a club has been are just going to win the win the fans over for life, aren't they? Really? Oh, that's it. I said to I messaged Kevin Hastings a little while oh, last year. So, mate, have I got any advice for you? Tell you tell uh, Jackson to go to England. I really? said the reason being he'll fall in love with the game again. Yeah, yeah. He'll he'll, he'll just enjoy his footy and um, you know and. He'll, he'll just reinvigorate himself and you know and he's done that he's doing that already you know he's playing some good footy the fans love him um, Cameron King I said, said the same thing to his to him um, really get to know the fans and just really buy into the the culture and history of the club oh, f- fantastic advice yeah yeah and and just over rewinding a little bit in in 94 um, you really hit the big time when you when you made your state of origin debut for Queensland at, at the MCG, I'm just going to take a wild guess and and um, and estimate that that crowd of eighty seven thousand that you played in front of was one of the biggest that that you performed in front of. Would that be true? Yeah, I didn't have any of those sort of crowds at Carlisle and Charvel as a kid, but <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe how big the stadium was, let alone how many people were there. Like it was like yeah. I think we drove our bus under, and I couldn't believe that. Um, I was still a bushy, don't worry. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. But just to to look around and and see, you know, Wally as the coach, 
Choppy as the manager, mm-hmm. Chris Close, um, Mal Meninga as the captain, Trevor Gilmister, Kevin Wilders, you know, Gary Lowe, all these players, Michael Hanker, all these players that you love watching and all of a sudden I'm, and Alfie Langer, like Alfie's vomiting before the game and I'm thinking, how hard is this game going to be? Gosh, he's, he's vomiting, it must be terrible. And then someone said he does it every game. So I was like, made it a bit easier. But, you know, I, I listened to that first game on the wireless in 1980 and kind of all with my dad and he explained to me how New South Wales always won and they had Queensland players. I listened to that game in 1980 and I said to myself then that I would play Origin one day. That was my goal and it took 14 years but I got there in the end and only played the one but um, it's one more than many others. Absolutely. No, it's a, a not not being a Queenslander myself, I'd, I've, I've been through Queensland and, and, and you know how important it is to, to, to make it that to that level is obviously obviously a career highlight that one is, is that the highlight of your career oh yeah massive yeah like you know not many people not many people get to do that um, mm. you know and I had to leave I left Charvel when I finished school didn't have any offers I, I had a apprenticeship at the Gold Coast so I moved out of the Gold Coast so I and you and you talk about luck so the second first bit of luck that I had was I played a year with Tweed Seagulls under 19s. I got some trials with the Gold Coast Seagulls for 1990 who were going to play some 21s games in in the view of having a team in 1991. So we're going to play four games against Sydney Cubs. Anyway, we had trials against local Gold Coast teams and I kept getting put on the bench, hardly getting the run. Then we played Steve Rogers was coaching the Gold Coast Group 18 men's side, so we were playing them. We'd warmed up Steve Rogers comes over to our coach and said, oh, our 5'8 hasn't turned up. Can you give me a player? Mm. And he just pointed straight, our coach pointed straight at me and said, take him. Really? So one, Steve Rogers is one of my idols. So I'm just, I was in awe. So I get to play for him. So I went and played against our team and I scored two tries and set three tries up. <laughs> On the back of that game, I got a trial in, for Gold Coast Seagulls Reserve Grade the next week against the Brisbane Broncos. And then I got a contract after that. Wow. But that, that, that's a real that's a real turning point in, in your career, isn't it? That that one. Well, yeah, massive, massive. Like I could have just been another number, you know. I, had to, I might have got there, but I had to work hard, like worked a lot harder. But yeah. still had to work hard when I got there. But you know, and then I I played three years of reserve grade twenty ones, and I sat on the bench for first grade because you used to do that back in the day. And I sat on the bench for over twenty times and never got on. Wow! <laughs> so I sat on that bench. And we were playing Parramatta one day and getting flogged 60 nil, I think. And, you know, Sterling, Kenny and all them were playing and you just going, oh, just give me five minutes. But, yeah, it was worth it in the end when I got there and when I finally got there. So I played nearly 100 games a grade before I played first grade. Oh, there you go. Jeez, that's perseverance. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and another career highlight was, um, no doubt, your appearance for Scotland at the 2000 World Cup. Um, are you, are you um, still connected to... That country's campaign for world dominance in any way in rugby league, or uh, is it? <laughs> oh, I, I keep in contact with um, Stephen Cormack, who is coaching me. He's not coaching me more, but I've always keep in contact and catch up when I can. Um, yeah, look, that was amazing. We had to beat Samoa actually. If we beat Samoa, we played Australia, but we um, I think we went down by about six points. It was we played the Maoris and then we played Ireland and then Samoa. Actually, going through those sides, there's some pretty good players in both the Marys and the Samoan side. And even Ireland had Luke Rickardson, Campo, and a few others. Yeah, and the game must have, there must have been some progress because 
wasn't it at the 2017 World Cup they either beat or drew with Samoa? Was it? Yeah, well, they, they, they've got better as time. They've um, yeah. played some really good footy and had a lot of the, you know, a lot more Aussie ones uh, with that heritage. And, you know, at the end of the day, you, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to grow the, the world game, be it America, be it Jamaica, be it, you know, Samoa Tonga. Uh, you know, I was just in Vanuatu and, you know, I love trying to do something to help over there as well. Like, they're just... Um, it's not all about Australia, New Zealand, England. It's about all the other ones as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, so you're involved. You you actually were the CEO of the Burley Club a few years after you retired. Is that right? Like, what was your involvement with them? Yeah, I was CEO there from uh, 1996 to the 2010. So I played there in 90, 95, uh, 2005, sorry, and we made the grand final. And then I was in the coaching staff, and then that role came up and I um you know I I was lucky enough to get it so yeah went down that route I sort of always wanted to coach because I was a player coach at Wakefield when I was over there and yep I sort of but it just sort of just kept taking me down that path so I haven't um but it was good I learned a lot and good club as well yeah and that's another club you're talking about proud traditional clubs that's another one isn't it Burley yeah, I mean, a lot of history there and, you know, some really good people involved and well, very well-run, you know, club with the Leeds club and, um, you know, and oh, I really enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed playing there. Rick Stone was my coach when we made the grand final and <laughs> he's a really good good operator, good fellow as well. Um, yeah. You know, and my, both my boys have played for Burley, so um, I um, still have a bit to do with them. Oh that's, oh, that's great. And, and, and just finally, um, the game today, uh, you, you're active on Twitter. I, I see your posts coming through. Uh, rugby League in 2019, like, what, what are your thoughts uh, when, when someone... Well, yeah. besides the other night, I, I really enjoyed it. There was a lot more um, throwing the ball around. There was a lot less penalties. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I wasn't liking where the game was going last year. I thought it was so sh- structured that players weren't playing what's in front of them and uh, that's what I like about the English game they tend to play what's in front of them a bit more um, but the you know the penalties and some of the decisions and you know um, rugby league is a simple game and sometimes I think we overcomplicate it a bit too much and you just let players play with the talent they've got you know and don't try and knock it out of them you get a better game yeah exactly yeah, let, let, let the game breathe it seems to be the message from everybody, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, it does. It, you know, and, you know, it's really important too that we realise that the game doesn't start at the top; it starts at grassroots. Um, you know, that you know a lot, a hell of a lot more has got to be done at the bottom to, to help to help with our game. So yeah, um, mate, I'll let you go. Thanks so much again for um, joining me on Dead and Gold podcast. It's uh, you, you are one of the true legends of the game both here and in England and uh, all the best for the season ahead mate yeah thank you very much for having me much appreciate it